Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. I want to talk to you today and really just kind of talk to you about faith. Uh, Romans 10 in verse 8 says, But what does it, faith, say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. Now, notice that faith needs to be in two different places. It needs to be in your mouth and in your heart. Two verses later, in verse 10, it says, But if you will confess with your mouth Jesus as your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, notice there's two things that happen when you get right with God, when you get saved, when you receive Jesus. One is you confess with your mouth. Second, you believe in your heart. In Colossians, it says this, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. In other words, what you did to receive Jesus, to receive salvation, to receive redemption, is the same thing that you do to receive everything else from Jesus. As you received him, so walk in him. Now, the way we receive him, we confess with our mouth, we believe in our heart. Uh, the door to the provision, to redemption, to all that Jesus purchased for us, swings on two hinges. One is confession, and the other is believing. We can say it's speaking and believing. Those two hinges, everything that Jesus provided for us swings on those hinges. So I wanted to start today in Luke chapter 4. Jesus has gone back to his hometown, town in Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And it says in verse 16, as his custom was, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. Now, by the way, in the Jewish synagogue, what you would do if uh, you were going to be the speaker, you would receive the book and you would stand up and you would read the scripture. And after you read the scripture, you would sit down to teach, right? Like we're doing here. Just so you thought you'd not want to know that. All right. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read. He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, recovery of sight to blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book. He gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue was fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now, I want to just point out two things. First, he found the place where it was written. It's amazing to me how many Christians do not know their Bible. People who said, I've been a Christian for 40 years, but they haven't even read the whole Bible. They don't know. You've got to find where it's written. 
You know, you have people say, I, you just don't know what God's going to do. Like God's schizophrenic. God's not schizophrenic. And people say, well, how do you know what God's going to do? Well, it says this in Mark's gospel, the 16th chapter. It says, the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following. You want to know what God's going to do? He's going to do chapter and verse. The Bible says he is watching over his word to perform it. Right? So Jesus found the place where it's written. And for you and I to receive something from God, we need to understand that the way that we receive is we find that place, we take the gospel, and we mix faith with it. In Hebrews, it says this, that the gospel was preached to them as well as to us, but it did not profit them not being mixed with faith. In other words, if, if we hear the gospel, but we don't mix faith with the gospel, it's not going to profit us. There's going to be no supernatural manifestation. Uh, the redemption that was purchased for us is not going to be manifest in our life. In Proverbs, it says it is life to those who find them. They're life to those who find them. And so often people just think, well, you know, I, I go to church and doesn't the Bible say, in fact, I've had people say that, well, doesn't the Bible just say this or doesn't it say that? Or don't we believe this as Christians? You've got to have a lot more on the inside of you. Uh, yesterday, in fact, I, I, was, I was studying and and I came across a verse, and it just exploded. In fact, I ran over to where Jeannie was. Jeannie was in the kitchen, and I ran in, and I said, Jeannie, look at this verse. Now, you say, why, why did you do that? Now, I've read the Bible cover to cover over 120 times, right? and I've never seen this verse there. Now, was it there? <laughs> Absolutely. It was, how many ever had that? It's kind of like, who put that in there? But it was there the whole time. But listen, listen, my heart was hot within me while I mused. The fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Now, what it's saying is this. It's saying he's musing. He is meditating on the word of God. He's considering what the word says. He's applying it in his heart. And he says, while I'm doing that, my heart gets hot. He says, there's something on the inside of me. He says, and in that fire, it began to burn. And once it started burning, he says, then there was a result. He said, I began to speak, right? Then I spoke with my tongue. Now, right over in the 45th chapter, it says, my tongue is the pen of a ready writer. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Literally what he's saying, he says, once that thing begins to burn and I begin to speak, I begin to write destiny. I begin to write what's going to be happening in my life. But we've got to get to that point where we aren't just hearing the word a little bit. We've got to be musing. We've got to be meditating. We've got to be applying that word where it comes alive on the inside of you. It begins to burn. Right? And really, there is a confession of faith, but there is also a confession unto faith. Right? Now, you begin to confess that word, and that as you confess that word, as you meditate on that word, it comes alive on the inside of you. Uh, when I was thinking about this this morning, I thought about jo well, how many of you have ever heard Joel Osteen on television? Kind of wave at me. You ever heard Joel? All right. Uh, we knew his father, John, and Dodie back when uh, she was diagnosed with cancer over thirty years ago, terminal liver cancer. In fact, she was sent home 
from the hospital with 10 days to live, maximum. Her son, who was a surgeon, uh, literally just broke down and began to weep. The doctor said, to, she's going to die. And John said, well, we believe in miracles. And the doctor said, well, you're going to need one. And John said, well, we're going to get one. But she went home and she said, the doctor's report, you are going to die. This is irreversible. There's nothing that can be done. She said, it was like it was shouting. You're going to die. And she said, and I got my Bible out, underlined by his stripes. I was healed. And it seemed like the doctor's word was, you're going to die. And God's word was, by his stripes, you're healed. He forgives all your iniquities, heals all your diseases. She said, but she just kept on meditating. She kept on musing. And it began to burn on the inside of her. And then she began to speak as it began to burn. And uh, it's been... 30 plus years, she's alive, doing well, right? But in the beginning, in the beginning, the word of the doctor was like shouting and the word of God was just this little whisper. But as she continued to muse, it began to burn. What God said began to burn on the inside of her, right? And then she began to speak what God said. And in the end, God's word was shouting and the doctor's word was a whisper. It reversed. See, their life to those who find them. And Bible says, and health to all their flesh. But you've got to get it down on the inside of you, right? Uh, in uh, Ephesians, it says to take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, the, the Greek word that's used there is the word rhema. And it's actually the word that's become alive, that's been revealed to you, that burns on the inside of you. That's the sword of the Spirit. When the devil came to Jesus, Jesus and tempted Jesus, Jesus didn't go, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. How many of you know he had a word for the occasion? It was right down there on the inside. It was alive on the inside of him. So Jesus found the place where it's written. Because God does chapter and verse. He's watching over his word to perform it. And then he said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He's saying, the, today, this scripture is true. And it's not just true, it's true about me. And you and I have got to get to the place where we've been musing, we've been meditating on that word. And we believe that that word is true, that it's true today, and it's true concerning you and concerning me. Find God's promise that deals with the situation that you're facing in your life. Whether it's, it's a giant, a mountain, whatever that problem is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 20, it says, For all the promises of God in him are yes and amen to the glory of God through us. Now, notice that little phrase, in him. When you become a Christian, you are in him. And once you're in him, all of the promises of God are yes and amen. You say, God, is this one mine? God goes, yes, it's yours. Amen. It's yours. All the promises belong to you. Now, I, I, I obviously have not counted them, but on multiple occasions, I have read 
that there are 7,700 promises in the Bible. And no matter what your situation is, there is one that will cover your case. Second Peter chapter one and verse four, by which we have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises. They have been given to us. Every one of those promises in Christ, it's yours. It's yes and amen. And notice the Bible calls them exceeding great and precious promises. We meditate on it. We muse. It begins to burn. And then we begin to speak. We begin to speak that word out. Right? Your words are like seeds. They're going to produce. How many ever heard somebody say you're going to eat your words? It's true. You plant them, they're going to produce. Words are like a vehicle that takes us closer or farther from the dream, from the promises that God has given to us. Abraham and, and Sarah are old when they finally have a son. His name is Isaac. He, in turn, marries a girl by the name of Rebecca. After 20 years of marriage, they finally get pregnant and they have twins. First is born Esau and then Jacob. Now, the Bible says about, about Esau that he was, he was a, kind of a rough guy. Right? He loved to be out in the field. He was a hunter. He was a man's man type of guy. And then his brother Jacob, it's, he was a soft man. He liked to just hang around the tents and cook and wasn't much of an outdoorsman at all. Right? But one day Esau's out hunting and he doesn't kill anything. And he comes home and he's really hungry. And there's Jacob cooking. And he's got some stew there, lentil stew, red stuff, cooking some bread. And Esau says, hey, he says, uh, give me some of that. And his brother says, uh, sell me your birthright. Now, the birthright was one of the two things that belonged to the oldest son. The birthright was a double portion of the inheritance, physical and the physical inheritance, the land, the, the flocks, the herds, the gold, the silver, whatever they had, he would get twice as much as anyone else. He says, sell it to me. Now, the other part of what the oldest son received was he would receive a special blessing from his father. Right? But he sells the birthright, and all he gets is a bunch of lentil stew. How many ever had lentils? I'm telling you, it's no... No prize. All right. Kind of beans. He got some beans. All right. But he sells it. Doesn't think anything of it. Well, some time passes. And the father says to Esau, Isaac says to Esau, by the way, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It's found in Genesis 35. He says, take your bow and arrow, go into the field and get me some venison. Is that like the will of God? <laughs> So he, go, he says, now, when you get back, he says, uh, fix that for me. He says, and I'm going to give you the blessing. Now, that's the second part that went to the oldest son was the blessing. Well, what happens is his mother hears. And his mother loved Jacob, where the father really loved Esau. And so mom says, hey, your, your dad's going to give your, your brother the blessing, but I want you to have the blessing. So this is what you do. Go get a goat, kill the goat, fix it for your father. 
And then take, listen to this, take the hair from the goat and put it on the back of your neck and cover your arms and your hands because your brother is hairy. And if your dad feels you, he's got to feel that hairy goat. Can you imagine how hairy this guy was? It's like almost gross, all right? <laughs> well, they cook the meal. He goes in, he puts on his brother's clothes because they smell like a field. He's got the hair on. And he, he says, here I am. I'm your oldest son. I'm, I'm Esau. And he says, well, you don't sound like Esau. Come here. And he gets close and he smells his clothes. And he says, oh, smells like the field. And then he touches him. And he says, yep, you're hairy like, like Esau. And then he gives him the blessing. He speaks a blessing over him. Now, when Esau finds out, he is so mad that his brother took his blessing that he makes plans to kill his brother. Right? Daniel was talking about this on 7 at 7 last week. So he had so much faith and so much confidence. He believed so much in the words that were spoken over him that he was willing to kill over them. Listen, most of us don't think anything about what's said. But yet there is so much power in words that are spoken in faith. In Jeremiah chapter 1, God's calling Jeremiah, who's really quite young at the time. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying. Now, when, uh, if you read the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, you will hear, find this phrase again and again. The word of the Lord came unto them, saying. And uh, probably the best way to explain it is to go back to the life of Samuel. Samuel is just a little boy. He's probably eight, nine years old, and he's serving in the temple. And mainly, he takes care of the old priest by the name of Eli. And one night, the Bible, the Bible says that Samuel did not yet know the Lord by the word of the Lord, by the word of the Lord. And one night, he lays down, and he hears a voice. And it says, Samuel, Samuel. So he runs to Eli. And he says, you called? And Eli said, no, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. He goes back, and he lays down, and he hears a voice again. And it says, Samuel, Samuel. And he runs back to Eli. And he says, surely you called. And Eli says, no, I didn't call you. But he, he thinks, I know what's happening. And so he says, next time you hear the voice, he says, don't move. Just say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And he goes back, and God calls to him again and says, Samuel, Samuel. And he says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And God begins to tell him what's going to be happening in Israel. Right? Now, notice the Bible said he had not known the Lord by the word of the Lord. When the word of the Lord comes to a person, to them, it's audible. To somebody, now Eli was right, he wasn't far away. He didn't hear anything. But to that person, it's audible. Right? So then the word of the Lord came to me saying, so God's speaking to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am but a youth. And the Lord said to me, do not say, I'm a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. And do not be afraid of their faces, 
for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I put my words in your mouth. Now, notice he says, I'm too young. I can't do it. God says, you're going to go and speak to nations. He says, I can't. And God makes no apology for correcting his words. When he said, I can't, God said, do not say I am too young. Don't say I cannot do it because God knew his words would seal his destiny. He says, you say I can't do it. He knew he wouldn't be able to do it. Right? His words would, would create his destiny. In fact, the Bible says this in Psalms 57 in verse 19. God says, I create the fruit of the lips. I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to him who is afar off and to him who is near, says the Lord. I will heal him. Now, not only does he say, I'm going to put my words in your mouth, but in Isaiah 59, the last verse, God says this. He says, my words, which I put in your mouth, shall not depart out of your mouth, nor the mouth of your descendants, nor from the mouth of your descendants' descendants, from this time forth and forevermore. Do you know God's word is supposed to be in your mouth and in my mouth? God said, I've put it there. And he says, to even those that are far off, right? So God said, don't say, don't say I'm a youth. And there are things that people are saying, I, I'm never going to get free. I'll never be delivered. I'm never going to be a success. I'm, I'm never going to get a promotion. No, this is never, you know, you need to shut up. You need to put what God, in your mouth what God says about you, all right? And notice what it says. Then the Lord put forth his hands and he touched my mouth. When Isaiah said, God, I can't go. I'm a man of unclean lips. The angel came and took a coal and put it on his mouth and purified his mouth. You know, when God wants to use somebody, God's going to use their mouth. And God wants to purify our mouth. We need to be saying what God says about us. Not, how do we say this? Not what the world says. Or even, look, behavior psychologists tell us that 77% of our self-talk is negative or is working against you. And it takes as many as 20 positive statements about yourself to counteract one negative personal declaration. Self-talk, that talk that's going on on the inside of you. You know, I'm never going to succeed. I'm never going to be successful. I'm never going to be delivered. I'm never going to have a successful relationship. All of that self-talk. Again, listen to what David said. He said, my heart was hot within me while I was musing. The fire burned. He wasn't listening to what the world was saying. He was listening to what God was saying. And he was musing. He was meditating on what God said. In fact, it came alive on the inside of him. And then he began to speak. You and I need to do the exact same thing. You may have the fear of the future, the fear of the unknown. But God says this. He says he will give you the desires of your heart and make all of your plans succeed. You need to meditate on what God says about you. You may feel like, I just don't know where provision's coming from. But God said, I will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. 
You may be concerned, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Well, the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. You need to begin to say, God, I thank you. You are directing my path. He said, I just don't know if I've got the ability to do this. But God says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. If God's calling you to do it, you can do it. You can be strong in the Lord, the Bible says, and in the power of his might. Right? Uh, you, you might seem to think, you know, I'm discouraged. I seem to be doing things and nothing's happening. But Galatians 6, 9 says this. Don't get tired in doing good. At just the right time, you will reap a harvest of blessing if you don't give up, if you don't quit. We need to be confessing what God says. I will keep doing what's right, and I am going to reap a harvest. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein. Now, again, so many times Christians say, well, how do I meditate? Well, let me just remind you, if you've ever worried, you're an expert meditator. In your mind, you see all of these things that are going to go wrong, right? But when you're meditating on God's word, you're going to see all the things that are going to go right. You're going to see God's favor and God's blessing on your life, right? It's literally, it's just the opposite of, uh, of worry. It's also been compared to a cow that ruminates or a cow chewing its cud. I know you're leaving for lunch here shortly, so I'll try to not get too graphic here, right? But I, I, I wrote a couple of things down about, about a cow chewing their cud. It says cows need to be comfortable and relaxed to chew their cud. They lay down while they do it. And while they, they can lay down for a very long period of time and not sleep, but they're just chewing their cud. They've eaten it, but now they really, they regurgitate it. And they're eating it all over and they're chewing it all over again. Cud chewing cows are generally healthier. They have a well balanced functioning digestive system. The cows will digest more of their diet and produce more milk. That's why farmers pay close attention to whether their cows are chewing their cud. And some have even installed monitors to help them keep an eye on their herds chew cutting activity. I thought that was funny. I'd like to install some monitors. Check out how we're doing. Are we meditating on the word or are we just meditating on what is going on in our media, what's going on in entertainment world or in the sports world? What are we focusing on? You know, I've had people say to me, oh, you just got a photographic memory. That's why you know all those scriptures. Oh, you would be amazed at what I can forget. <laughs> Just ask Jeannie. But you know what? <laughs> but the truth is this. The truth is, because we focus on it, all right, it's in our heart. It's amazing to me. Some of you, I was, it, was super, it, was a, it was like the day before the Super Bowl, all right? And, and somebody says, oh, the Super Bowl's tomorrow. And I said, really? I didn't know. And uh, they, they, they said, uh, so-and-so's playing. And I went, Really? And they were telling me about this quarterback and that quarterback. And I'm like, I didn't know any of that. 
It's amazing to me. You know all the sports figures. You know, you know what, what team is playing what team, what their scores are. You know their batting averages. You know all about them. All right. But you can't find 2 Corinthians 5.17. See, the, the thing that's important to you, you are going to remember. Right? And, and we need to make sure that we are focusing on the right things. They are life to those who find them. Life to those that find them. And again, in Hebrews... It says the gospel was preached to them as well as to us, but it did not profit them, not being mixed with faith. Right? What we hear has to be mixed with faith. And faith doesn't come until we begin to meditate, to muse on it. And it begins to burn. That revelation comes. Uh, recently, I, I started going to a Japanese restaurant again to have sushi. Yeah. Anybody here ever have sushi? Wave up, no, the sushi people. All right. How many of you know what wasabi is? All right. Now, th this stuff is fire. I mean, it's just this little green stuff. All right. And you put that on your sushi and literally it feels like fire is coming out of your nose. All right. But that in one sense, that's kind of like what revelation is like. You know, when all of a sudden that revelation comes the, the, the prophet said, it's burning. It's burning on the inside. Right? Now, we need some wasabi revelation. All right? But revelation of God's word. Right? Now, it comes when we muse, when we meditate on that word. We become strong in faith. Listen, when we give glory to God. Romans 4, verse 20 says, no one belief made him waver concerning the promise of God. Now, Abraham is up in his 90s, right? Sarah's in her 80s, late 80s. Uh, she hasn't had her cycle in three decades, right? And God said they're going to have a child. And no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith. He didn't start out strong. He grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Now, God said to him, as he's giving him the promise, you're going to have a child. He says, now, look up in the heavens. And he says, like the stars in the sky, so are your descendants going to be. And then one day he showed him, he says, like the sand in the desert, so are your descendants going to be. So whether it was night or whether it was day, whether he was looking up or whether he was looking down, he would be reminded of God's promise. Your descendants, they're going to be like the stars. They're going to be like the sand. And he began to thank God. And God, I thank you. I thank you, though it may look impossible to man, yet with God, all things are possible. And I thank you, God, that you cannot lie. I thank you for your promise, and I thank you. We're going to have a child. And he began to give glory to God. And as he did, the Bible says he grew strong in faith. He grew strong in faith. I can say it this way. Faith produces thanksgiving, but thanksgiving produces faith. Faith produces thanksgiving, but thanksgiving produces faith. In Psalm 69, verse 30. The psalmist wrote, he said, I will praise the name of God with song and I will magnify him with thanksgiving. 
I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Let me just say this. Thanksgiving is not a natural human attribute. We are not naturally thankful. We naturally take everything for granted. When Jesus heals 10 lepers, only one even came back to say thank you. It's not natural. But as we are thankful, the Bible says we magnify God. Now, if you take a magnifying glass and look at something, you do not make it any bigger. But you begin to see what it really is. You see more clearly what you're actually looking at when you look through that magnifying glass. And when we begin to be thankful to God, that's exactly what happens. We begin to see his grace. We begin to see his mercy. We begin to see all that God has done for us. And when we begin to be thankful, it ignites, it ignites faith on the inside of us. And really, it's like we're looking back at the testimonies of what God has already done for us. And remember, Revelation chapter 19 says that the, 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 the spirit of prophecy, right? the spirit of prophecy, it's the testimony of Jesus. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. In other words, what Jesus has done is what he'll do again. In fact, in the Hebrew, the root word for testimony actually means do again. Do again. But when we begin to be thankful for what he's already done, we begin to realize he's going to do some more. He's not done. In fact, the prophet Isaiah said this. He said, for this reason, he was exalted. For this reason, he was exalted. The reason that Jesus is exalted, it says that he's seated now at the right hand of God and given a name above every name of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. The reason he was exalted was that he may have mercy on us. I'm telling you, there's saving mercy, and there's healing mercy, and there's delivering mercy. Right? There's mercy for peace. There's mercy for provision. And he was exalted that he may have mercy on us. Say, would you please bow your heads for just a moment? As I was considering earlier in the week how to close this service, Jeremiah 8.20 came to my mind, which simply says this, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. The harvest is past. The summer has ended, and we are not saved. What the Lord put on my heart was this, that there are many people that you have every intention of getting right with God. You have every intention of putting things in your life that shouldn't be in your life aside. Every intention of repenting and being delivered. But yet, the harvest comes and the harvest goes. The summer comes, the summer goes. And we're still in the same condition. You're not saved. You're not delivered. You're not free. There's no peace. But today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to not let the harvest pass or the summer to end. Today is the day where you say, today is my day of salvation. And it may be that you're away from God. You need to get right with God. Or it may be that there's things, there are things in your life that you know you've been saying 
for months, for years, it's gonna happen. I'm gonna get right. I'm gonna get delivered. I'm repenting. Things are gonna change, but they haven't changed. Today, today is the day of salvation. Today, the power of God is here in this place to set you free. So I'm gonna ask everybody, if you can, to take the hand of somebody that's near you. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. Make these words your own. Say this out loud. Just say, oh God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sin. And I believe he rose again. Victorious over death, over sin, over addiction, and over the devil. And I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm not waiting another day. Today, I receive Jesus. Today, I receive forgiveness. Today, I receive deliverance. Today, I declare I'm free. I declare I'm saved. I'm forgiven. And I'm right with God. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.